at the tent door. At the tent door. When you're tracing these, uh, again, if you've missed it somewhere, the 5784 is the Hebrew calendar year 2024. Our, uh, what do you call that? Gregorian calendar? Our regular, our regular time. Um, and uh, the Hebrew alphabet has pictures along. It's, it's an alphabet, it's numbers, it's pictures. And uh, four is about the door. So, um, so a lot of the prophetic people are saying this is the year of the open door. And that's one reason Angie and I have been talking about doors since August or September when uh, Rosh Hashanah came in to start the Hebrew New Year. Um, and when you're tracking doors, and there's different words, but... but uh, Basically, the first, again, you could say the angels standing at the garden with the flashing sword. You could call that a door or a gate or whatever. But, but the word door, um, Genesis chapter 4, and um, the Lord tells Cain, sin is crouching at the door. And it wants you, but you've got to master it. And then the next place that you see a door is Genesis 6. And if you listen to the little videos that I do, I actually talked about that a couple of times this week. Uh, it's the door in Noah's Ark. And, and that's interesting. You could go just go all kinds of places with just the door in Noah's Ark because it's an entryway into salvation. That's how they got into the, to the boat, you know. At least I think, I would assume that's how they got in. Every artist you ever see is the doors drop down and they walk up. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe God used a helicopter. I don't know. But the door, I assume, is the ramp that they walked up to get in. And then the door was literally shut by the Lord. But the, the ark was made of wood, so things died. Trees were felled. Jesus died to provide a way. Trees died for God to provide a way of salvation. And they had access through that door. Jesus has called himself the door or the gate. And the door is in the side and it's closed up and they are hidden in the ark. Joseph Prince has a really cool thing that he says. It's not that Noah never fell anymore. But once you're in Christ, when you fall, you fall while you're still in Christ. You don't fall out of Christ. Because Noah, if he fell, he, he was still inside the ark. We are hidden in Christ. In John 17, Jesus actually prays that we would be in him as the Father was in him and he was in the Father, that we would be in him. And so we're hidden in Christ our way of salvation like the ark. And the ark was covered on the inside and out with pitch, which makes Tar Heel fans very happy. <laughs> pitch or tar. I will not mention anything at all. 
I'll just say that. And so, the, uh, the word that's used for that is the same word as atonement. It's a covering. And so, there's that picture there too. Often wood is used for humanity. Jesus had to come and become a man in order to cover us, to save us, atone for us, to put us, you've heard this with atonement before, at one with God because we had been broken away. Uh, we had been separated. And um, then there's also the fact that, that that thing, that door is in the side. Jesus was pierced in his side and blood and water flowed, showing that his heart was broken for the love that he had for us, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, gave us salvation. So um, there's a lot of stuff with that. The next time you get to doors is what we're going to look at today. It's, um, it's Abraham sitting at the door of the tent. And, and just like uh, in the context with um, Cain, the Lord is saying, there's sin crouching at the door, and of course referring to the door of his heart, but you must master it. We've, we've taught, there's, in fact, there's a scripture where Paul talks about there's a door of opportunity open, but there are many adversaries or opponents. And Angie's done a sermon called Warring at the Door. Any door that the Lord wants to open for us, the enemy's going to try to keep us from getting through or, or diverting us as we go through. And so, so um, Cain had to deal with that, and he was told he could master it. And that's, that's without the Lord mentioning, which I'm sure it was true for Cain as it is for us, that he provides a hedge of protection so that we're not tempted beyond what we can endure. And then, of course, we have the Holy Spirit, too. We definitely can. If he could master sin, but, of course, the way he dealt with it was he killed his brother. I mean, what? You know, he could have gone to Acapulco. What? <laughs> But instead, he killed his brother. I don't know. But, but anyhow, you know, the Lord has that conversation. So all of us have this door, and there are doors that are presented to us that have this opportunity, like what we talk about, the fork in the road. Some of you know Yogi Berra and some of his ways of saying things. He used to say, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. I'm trying to keep from telling other yogiisms. I will tell you that there was a basis for that that he used. To get to his house, you would get to a place that there was a fork in the road, but you could go right or left and get to Yogi's house. And so he would say that to people, giving directions to his house. He'd say, now when you get to the fork in the road, take it. You know, because either way, we'd get you to his house. But um, anyhow, so... So we've got this opportunity, but we also have opponents. We have, we have sin wanting to get us, and yet we have the ability to overcome. And that word overcome, you know, the basis for that word overcome is Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord changes his name to prevailer. That's overcomer. 
prevailer. And then Jesus is the overcomer, and he's made us overcomers. In fact, he calls us more than conquerors. So anything, any opponent at the door is somebody we can deal with, or the Lord would not allow them to bushwhack us, ambush us. And as we look at this today in Genesis 18, I think you'll see components of that. Door is mentioned like three times in this chapter. So, so we'll just jump in and I'll, I'll just read probably the first 14 or 15 verses and then we'll, we'll just talk about some of it. Is that okay? It's 11.44. At the door, double door, 11.44. There we go. So, um, so here we go. Uh. Anchor scripture, Genesis 18.1. I'm using the Amplified. You're welcome, Dolores and Grace. Although y'all might have the passion with you today, I don't know. So now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre. I have no idea if I'm saying those right. In Hebron or Hebron, don't know which it is. I don't care. I'm Eastern North Carolina. So here we go. While he was sitting at the tent during the heat of the day, so early afternoon, heat of the day, early afternoon, right? It's hot. <laughs> yes, thank you. Verse 2, when he raised his eyes while he's sitting there in the heat of the day at his tent door, looked up, behold, three men were standing a little distance from him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Verse 3, and Abraham said, my Lord, you notice I'm trying not to talk about anything. I'm just buzzing through. Try to read it all first. Abraham said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant without stopping to visit. Some people say the Lord would never pass by. New Testament, Jesus meaning to pass them by. Right? You remember that? And they called out and said, no, come here, come here. And he stops and he comes here. So yes, the Lord can mean to pass you by if you don't say, Lord, come here, you know, kind of thing. You can miss out a visitation by not like inviting him to come, you know. Verse four, please let a little water be brought by one of my servants and you may wash your feet and recline and rest comfortably under the tree. He didn't wash them himself, but he thought about it. Remember, Jesus washed the disciples' feet because it wasn't provided nobody said anything. So, Genesis 18, 5, and I will bring a piece of bread. Yes, Lord. I love it when they bring bread out to the table. To refresh and sustain you. After that, you may go on since you've come to your servant. And they replied, do as you have said. Look, the Lord is willing to stop. So let's just, let's just assume. It's a good assumption. It's Jesus, because he's the one that shows up physically in places. And two angels. Let's just, don't know who the angels are. But let's just say it's Gabriel and Michael, just so we've got some names to play with. It's an assumption. So do they need food? Do they need bread? Do they need to wash their feet? But 
notice, they, in a way you could say, submit themselves to Abraham's hospitality. Now, Abraham is submitting himself to them to become a servant, but they are on their way somewhere. Where are they on their way to? Sodom and Gomorrah to go and examine things. Now, we have a tendency to say they're going to examine things to verify that they're going to bring hellfire and brimstone and all that. I think they're going to examine things to see if they've overlooked any righteousness anywhere where they can give mercy. They're making sure, they're verifying. And and we won't get into it today, but remember, Abraham actually intercedes for them and gets it all the way down to 10. And the Lord agrees with him every time. Do you think if Abraham had continued and said five worthy, do you you think the Lord would have agreed? Yes. If he had gotten down to one, would the Lord have agreed? Yes. Yes. Abraham stopped his intercession. When we intercede, sometimes we give up. But I digress because I don't want to go, boom! That's what, that's what, I, that's what, what Randy Clark did. He said, I'm going to shoot that rabbit because I'm not going to chase that rabbit. Boom. So, so I'm not going to chase that rabbit. I'm just going to go on. So here we go. Bring a piece of bread there. Okay, so verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, get ready. Three measures of fine meal. Knead it and bake cakes. It's a sia. 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 Some of your translations have S-E-A-H, right? If you look down in the bottom, it will give you different measures because they're not totally sure how many measures Some people say that a standard sea would be seven liters. I haven't got any measure for liters except when we had those liter Cokes. I knew what a liter was then, (laughs) right? But but some say it's actually 14 liters. What What I want you to see is extravagance. There are only three visitors. She's gonna make a lot of bread for three visitors. And that's before we get to the place that he's going to kill a calf and prepare it, right? So there's an extravagance that Abraham and Sarah are entering into for three visitors. There should be, here I go again, boom, never mind. So uh, how'd you like that? Over my back like that? Okay. Genesis 18, 7, Abraham also ran to the herd, brought a calf, tender and choice, and he gave it to the servant to butcher, and he hurried to prepare it. Bread and now steak. This is my kind of happening. Verse 8, then he took curds and milk, and the calf which he had prepared, set it before the men, stood beside them under the tree while they ate. He stood there in a waiting position as a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant, a really nice restaurant. Verse 9, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. 
Verse 10, he said, he said, as the Lord said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Let's check it. This time next year. Okay. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Now, you remember that had been the promise for a long time. Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore, which is a really good tip about Jesus because sand on a seashore is we were made of the earth. Stars in the heavens are things that come out of the heavens. He was son of man and he was son of God. And he said, I'm going to make your descendants because when we become Christians, we're already people made out of dirt. But when we become Christians, we receive the spirit of God and we become children of heaven, children of God. And it tells us that we have been grafted into Abraham's descendants, his lineage. And so literally the Lord is prophesying to him not just about his natural descendants, but us today who don't necessarily share any natural blood kin to him, but we are children of Abraham because we're like the sand on the shore and we're like the stars in the heaven. Cool? Boom, another rabbit did. So I shouldn't have done that. But anyhow... It's good stuff. So, so anyhow, next time coming, next year, about a year, about 12 months, Sarah was listening at the tent door. So they're out there under the shade, and she's like, at the tent door. What are y'all saying? Is anybody talking about me? <laughs> I want to hear what's going on. And she's listening at the tent door. And the tent door, it tells us, so we'll have a proximity. He can't look up and see her because his back is to her. See that? Verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. If you need to know how old, they were 89, Sarah, the one who's going to have a baby in a year, which means she'll be 90. And Abraham, 99, which means when he's tossing that little runt up in the air, having a good time, he's 100 years old. I don't know if it's occurred to you or not, but they probably aren't capable of having children at 89 and 99. They were old, well advanced in years. She was past the age of childbearing. Way, way, way past the age of childbearing. And uh, some of you remember Kelly Varner. Kelly Varner says, would say, I'll give you a visual image of Abraham. Take a sweet potato and put two toothpicks <laughs> in the bottom and stand it up. There's Abraham right there. So. Um, verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself when she heard the Lord's words saying, after I've become old, shall I have pleasure and delight my Lord, my husband, being also old? 
Now, before we criticize her for laughing, because it obviously is going to show that she's not laughing going, oh, joy. It's not like a thing like Mary did, you know, kind of, it's, it's like, ha, 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 yeah, right. You know, that kind of laugh. But just the chapter before Abraham laughs, just so you know, everybody always talks about Sarah laughing. Chapter 17, Abraham laughs, okay? So it runs in the family, a lot of laughing at this thought. Even though there had been a promise for over 25 years, I think, or about 25 years. And remember, they had even tried to accomplish the promise in their own strength by doing the Hagar thing, right? Get Hagar had an Ishmael, which is what we do often. The Lord gives us a promise, and we try to do it in our own strength, and we have a child of flesh, that causes more problems and derails the promises of God more than anything else in our lives. Instead of waiting on the Lord to give us the child of promise. Child of flesh, child of promise. Which do you want? Child of promise, right? Laughter, joy. So, the Lord asks Abraham, because he's facing Abraham and Sarah's in the tent behind him, why did Sarah laugh to herself saying, shall I really give birth to a child when I'm so old? <laughs> now, I won't get into this because I've already covered my Oreos and milk and things like that, but how do they know, right? The Lord didn't have to have the Lord tell him because he's the Lord. So he knew, right? He knew. And in the 14th verse, I love this. Is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? His name shall be wonderful. Amen. Remember that? At the appointed time when the season for her delivery comes, I will return to you and Sarah will have a son. He's like, you can bank on it. This is me telling you, right? In verse 15, <laughs> I just love this because I am so much like this. Then Sarah denied. <laughs> it's like, she's standing at the door. She's listening. He says it. She laughs. And then he says, why does she laugh? I'm going to do it. I'm really going to do it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. That, that was not me. I did not laugh. And she said that because she was afraid. And he, the Lord, said, oh, but you did laugh. Notice he didn't drop a piano on her head. He didn't hit her with a lightning bolt. He didn't open the ground up and swallow her up. He just said, oh, you did laugh. You laughed. So you're going to name him Isaac, laughter. Because <laughs> you both laughed. So that's what we're going to do. So now I just want to go back and talk about some of it. And um, I'm going to debate. I guess I'll, I'll reverse it so we can see. Let's see if I can reverse it. Um, if you reverse, do you reverse hitting this button? Ha! Ha-ha-ha! Look at that. I'm reversing I'm reversing. I'm backtracking. Okay. 
there's also verse one, which is the title thing. So, so um, just some things. So Abraham is sin- sitting at the tent door. There's there's um, the original instructions to the man in the garden was protect. Protect from what? Everything's going, well, there's a serpent coming. Protect. And it was keep. Keep watch. And keep watch had the idea of worship and protect. Worship and protect. And we still have that. The other thing was be fruitful and multiply. For some reason, we've never had a problem with that. We have been fruitful produced all kinds of fruit, all kinds of flakes, all kinds of stuff. But keeping watch, keeping watch. So he's sitting at the door and he's keeping watch. And I just want to say to you right now, we watch whether we know we're watching or not. You may not realize you're watching, but you're watching. You're keeping watch. And here's the way we do it. Some of us are in love with the Lord and like every opportunity we have, we're in the word or we're listening to someone teaching or, or we're praying or whatever. And so that's, that's a, an example of our eyes being focused on the Lord, and we are literally watching for what the Lord will do because our eyes are on him, whether we realize it or not. And so when the Lord comes passing by, we will see and we will say, oh, Lord, stop here with me for a little while because we're watching. Had we not been watching, passed right on by. Right? Also, we can be somebody who watches the news all the time. We can be a news junkie, and we're constantly watching news. That means that our world is being interpreted by people who are giving what they call the news. Some of us are watching Taylor Swift. You might be trying to watch football, but somehow you're watching Taylor Swift. So, but all I'm saying is we're watching whether we realize it or not. And what we see dictates how we respond to things in our life. If we're watching the news all the time, then there's a good, indi- a, a good possibility that we're going to be going around thinking the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket and everything, the sky is falling and we're going to be eaten alive by zombies today. <laughs> zombies or aliens. You know what I mean? If, if it's always about entertainment, we're always going to want something more. And I'm going to be careful how I say that. 
But for example, no, I'm not going to say it. I just, I'm just not going to give that example. I'll just leave that there. Boom! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so um, if we're watching the Lord, then everything's interpreted by what we see through the Lord. And so, we'll have a tendency. Of course, that can be run by your doctrine too. If you've, if you've got bad doctrine, you can see the Lord doing stuff and you can interpret it poorly. So, so I have no idea. Uh, you, you, most of y'all know where I am as far as, as far as how close we are to end times. But there are a lot of people, and a lot of you may have the interpretation that we're getting ready to go through the ejection seat and be raptured out. And that's fine if that's how you see things. It's not how I see things because the Lord's coming back for a glorious church. I won't even go into other things, but just that one thing, he's coming back for a glorious church. Not a defeated church. Not a depressed church. Not a dejected church. Not a church in despair. Not a church waiting to escape. But a church that's triumphant and victorious. That kind of church. A church that's like him. A church of overcomers. A church of more than conquerors. A perfect church. And if he's coming back for a church like that, then there has to be a period of awakening. And you can say revival, but harvest. I'm talking about a big harvest. And there has to be a period of reformation where we truly do what the Lord said, make the earth like heaven. You know? Because he told us to do that. That's a part of the model prayer. Or we say the Lord's Prayer, but, you know, the model he gives them. And so I truly expect, I don't know how long that period will be, but I truly expect the devil to take it on the chin for a period of at least decades, but I think probably centuries. Now, that doesn't mean everything will be perfect because when you read about what we call the millennial reign, there are people who refuse to go to Jerusalem and worship at the Feast of Tabernacles. And it said their nation would not get rain because of that. There will be people who choose without a devil around to stir things up. There will be people who choose to reject Jesus. Who just choose that. And you say, how can that possibly be? Well, how can Cain possibly have a conversation with God and then go kill his brother? I don't know. I don't know how that is. But anyhow, if we watch and if we're looking for God, it makes a difference in how we see the world. One group of people never see God at work. People who are looking at God see God at work every day. See what God is doing every day. Are filled with hope are filled with faith, are filled with old King James, charity, love, right? Because they believe the Lord is doing something and he's saving people because John 3.16 is a real thing to them, right? So Abraham is at the door and he's watching 
So he sees them when they're coming, and he runs to meet them. That's good. That's good on the other side of it, too. David said, today you're falling, and ran to meet the giant. It's good to run to the thing the Lord has called you to do. Right? So, so Abraham ran to them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. This is a worship word. It's shakah, if I remember correctly. He goes and he bows himself down before them in a worship pose. Now, now you could in that culture do that for someone that you see as superior to you. But I don't think there's any, any doubt that Abraham saw this was the Lord. And he was, he was running out there hoping the Lord, hoping for favor. And if you're hoping for favor and you're someone who runs to the Lord and bows down in worship and asks for a visitation, the Lord will not pass you by. Good? Okay. Let me try to hurry this up because I shot a lot of rabbits. So this is, he ran out, he bowed down in worship, favor. He wants a visitation. He doesn't want to be passed by. Verse four is interesting. Please let a little water be brought by one of my servants and you may wash your feet, recline and rest comfortably under the tree. You know what? These first few verses actually tell us a good way for the church to be. The church should want people to be refreshed. The church should not want people to come into the house of God and walk out feeling more burdened. The church should want people to come into the house of God and experience a visitation, the presence of God, and walk out refreshed. Church should be a place of rest. The Sabbath, the Lord's day, where people met to worship was a day of rest. So they're telling them to rest, recline, cleanse, wash your feet. It should be a place when we leave that we feel less guilt and shame because the Lord has lifted that off of us. And it should be a place of humility where everybody is the same. Everybody, all of us are just children of God, saints of God, everybody on the same level, full of humility, making it all about God. It's a nice pattern for a church, isn't it? Yeah. I let that rabbit go because that, that, that was in my notes, so that rabbit's okay. So, um, Verse 5, he's bringing stuff. He wants to serve. He wants to be a waiter. The word deacon in the New Testament is really just about people who wait tables. And the idea of waiting on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, right? Take up on wings like eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk. Oh, is it walk and not be weary and run and 
Which is it? One or the other. You're not going to tuck her out. Right? Like you're old and advanced in years and you're a sweet potato on toothpicks. <laughs> the, uh, the wanting to serve leads to extravagance in serving. Remember last week? The people of Israel brought more than enough because they had a heart to give. Abraham and Sarah brought to those three individuals more than enough. It was extravagant. It was an extravagant offering to them. I'm not going to say anything about that calf because it's going to make me hungry. <laughs> so verse 8. Got verse 8? Okay. I just, I just like that he's waiting on them like a servant. I, that's all I'll say about that. Sarah's in the tent. Notice Sarah is watching too. Like Abraham sat in the door of the tent, she's at the door of the tent and she's watching. Now here's the interesting thing. If we read this passage here, she's watching and her watching turns into evidence of unbelief and fear. Right? And, and actual lies. Lying to God. Do you, do you, remember, you remember when the glorious period of the church was going on and Ananias and Sapphira lied to God? They did hit the deck because the glory was that great. If the Lord had had the dimmer switch all the way up and she had lied, she'd have just fallen dead because she would have been too close to his glory. You understand? It's, it's not the Lord zapping people with lightning bolts. It's that sin cannot exist in the same space with the holiness of God. And so unless God keeps it tapped down, you can't be in the same space with him. And that's why Jesus had to come so we could occupy the same space with him again because we had been separated, right? So she's watching. Her watch turns into unbelief, turns into fear. And so basically, let me just make sure before I leave this. Oh, there is that. Yes, I do want to hit that. All the watching we do is either in faith or fear. And there's evidence of it in our attitudes, in our speech, in our actions. You can see whether fear is running your life or whether faith is running your life. Sometimes you can see faith in the wrong thing is running your life. You don't necessarily show fear, you, you show foolishness. I'll just give you an example. There are people who believe so strongly in the devil that they have given themselves over to the worship of the devil and they're relying on the power of the devil 
to move and operate in this world. For success, for the annihilation of their enemies, for strategies to give them control in the world. And so they don't show fear because they put their faith in him and they're believing in him and it's foolishness. Because to do that, you have to say either there is no God or that Satan is more powerful than God. And it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And likened to it, it would be the fool who says in his heart, Satan or Baal or Jezebel or whoever the person identified, the, the God is greater than Yahweh, right? That's why you have Psalm 2. God looks down and laughs. He has a little Isaac too. <laughs> he laughs. So everything's got to come from faith or fear. And we should be walking in faith. And if we're walking in faith, then nothing will be impossible to us. So that we can ask the question of Gabriel, and Gabriel can say, is there anything too hard for God? And Mary can say, I'm good with that. There is nothing impossible with God. His name is wonderful. You want wonder in your life? Open it up to God. You got chaos in your life? Kick it out. It's not of God. Fussing all the time, not of God. I give you peace. Angry all the time, not of God. Be angry and sin not. It means there is a righteous wrath. But most of the time I'm angry, I'm wrapped up in me which is selfishness. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's a picture of selfishness. If I listen to you, I'm selfless. If I talk a lot and I get angry a lot, I'm selfish, self-centered. You know, that's enough of that. Let's just stop. I got more rabbits. There's a ton of rabbits. In fact, I got this magician's hat. I can keep pulling them out. But, but the bottom line of this is Abraham sat at the door watching for the Lord, wanting a visitation, ran to it, put himself in a situation of extravagance in his offering to God and expected God to visit with him. And when they go on to the mission, which is Sodom, the angels go, but the Lord stays there and talks with his friend. Three times in scripture, it calls Abraham his friend. Three times. He talks with his friend. You may not feel like it, but if you want to be, you can be a friend of God. He'll call you friend. He'll call you son. He'll call you daughter. He'll call you joint heir. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. 
praise team should come up because I'm going to keep talking if I don't stop. I'll just keep talking about this. And so what happens when the greatest thing that you've ever had from God becomes the offering that you're required to give? What happens when your joy and laughter, the fulfillment of the promise that you waited on so long becomes the thing to put on the sacrificial altar? Are your eyes so focused on the Lord in that circumstance that you believe that he's too wonderful for the dream to die? Abraham believed that God was that wonderful that he could put Isaac on an altar and that God would be wonderful and his laughter would be restored. And some say, you know, Jesus said, Abraham saw me. Some say that it's just those times with him, but some say, no, it wasn't just his times with him being called his friend, but that when he had his knife poised over Isaac and the angel stilled his hand, that he saw all the way to God having to give his son with no way out. Abraham gave God human agreement, permission to offer his only begotten son because God does things with human agreement. Abraham, the friend of God. So today we get to eat the bread and drink from the cup and thank the Lord that he gave himself willingly and we remember his flesh crucified and we remember the blood given and we get to thank him for our salvation, our redemption. After we have communion, if you'd like to, to stay, they'll keep on worshiping. If you'd like prayer, you can go back there for prayer. If you need to go, have a glorious day. So I'm going to pray and we'll uh, partake. So Lord, we just thank you for what we just said. Thank you. This bread is your body. Thank you. This cup is your blood. Thank you. You have redeemed us and made us new. Thank you. Thank you for giving us life, overcoming death, and giving us life. Meet with us now as we eat and drink, and we pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.